This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, January 31st, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. From the destruction of free speech walls to draconian and chilling speech codes, free expression on campus is under threat. Greg Lukianoff is author of the new book, Unlearning Liberty. We spoke following a forum for the book held last month. I went to uh, the University of Louisville, one of your red light schools, and it never struck me particularly as, as somebody who was active on campus, somebody who worked at the student newspaper, uh, that there was particularly a problem. And then I uh, hear uh, Ms. Jemison talking downstairs at the event, and it seemed that the school where, where she was having a problem, where there was a policy prohibiting them from even using the word marijuana on a flyer to advertise an event to discuss the possibility of the legalization of marijuana, that they didn't so much want to infringe on speech, but they wanted a policy that allowed them to do so should something objectionable come up, which in some ways is is even uh, more dangerous than uh, not having a policy at all. Well, the way that you end up with um, a red light or yellow light or green light rating, it all depends on what you actually have on the books. Um, and that's somewhat separate from how a university behaves. But I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say that their university is totally fine without knowing that a student had actually gotten in trouble for pretty clearly protected speech maybe in the same year that they were there. Um, and one of the things I emphasize in the book is that uh, th- th- that's in some ways the, the harm is a little bit more subtle. Um, that if you create a risk uh, for dissenting, if you create a risk for speech in an environment that should actually be promoting um, and with with enthusiasm speech, um, a a very simple path you can follow um, is to talk to people you already agree with, don't disagree with – don't actively go after professors that you disagree with. And and it it mirrors a a, a nasty intellectual habit I think our entire society is engaged in now. Um, Put yourself in your echo chamber and don't really leave. Now, the only institution that I feel like we could have have addressing this problem is higher education, um, but it can't work if there's bad attitudes about freedom of speech. But when it comes to the policies, one, one thing that universities say sometimes when we criticize these policies is that there's nothing – well, we don't enforce these codes anyway, so what's the big deal? Uh, one point that I make consistently throughout the, the book is that yes, you do enforce these codes, just you try to keep it un- quiet when you do. That being said, there's something very uh, pernicious though at the same time, even if the codes aren't enforced, about educating citizens in a democracy that uh, a power has the right to limit speech to only that which is not offensive. It creates a normative framework for what you believe power should do. So having a code that says we ban offensive and this is these are real codes attitudes or perceptions teach students totally wrong lessons about what it means to live in a free society sure and you you've said that you've uh, looked into the research on how free students feel mm-hmm. about speaking out and right. and I guess a lot of people don't really understand or don't appreciate the reality of a chilling effect right. and what and that those things are real and in this case uh, measurable yeah, it was some very interesting, uh, very interesting study. Didn't really surprise me, but twenty-four thousand students were asked by the American Association of Colleges and Universities in a uh, study that was published in two thousand ten if they strongly agreed with the statement: "Is it safe to hold unpopular uh, positions on campus?" This is a pretty weak question. If you really wanted to get to the heart of it, um, you, you would have asked something more like, "Are you totally sure you can uh, say whatever you want on campus?" But it was just saying: "Is it safe to hold uh, unpopular positions on campus?" and 
And uh, 40%, only 40% of colleges strongly agreed with the statement that it was safe to merely hold. And it decreased every year that they asked to only 30% of college seniors saying that. And that might very well be the, thir- the same 30% who already agrees with every- everybody on campus anyway or doesn't care. They, and sure, they think it's totally safe. But the most telling uh, uh, factoid within that was that only 16.7% of university uh, professors agreed with the statement that it's safe to hold unpopular positions on campus. And that t- indicates to me that, that we've done something very wrong with our educational environment. Uh, what are some other ways? You talked about uh, in, in your book the origins of free speech zones mm-hmm. and that you couldn't quite track down their beginnings. But uh, an example you pointed to at West Virginia University, free speech zones there took up or accounted for one percent of the uh, campus. Uh, you know where? How popular are these things? You know, uh, free speech zones are something that when I first started Fire at two thousand one, we fought the case at uh, West Virginia within weeks of my starting there. And I thought that these are so laughably unconstitutional because oftentimes they represent you know tiny, tiny percentages of, of college campuses and then still require advance notice in order to use those free speech zones. And they define things like handing out leaflets as being exercises of free speech that require advance permission, that these wouldn't be long for this world. Um, and we fought uh, a number of these cases, including a legal battle um, along with the Alliance Defense Fund against a free speech gazebo in Texas, which was one 20-foot wide gazebo on campus for all 28,000 students um, where they could exercise their free, their free speech rights. And uh, after that decision called Roberts v. Harrigan, uh, you know, at least we had some hope that the, the, the speech codes would be a thing, uh, speech zones would be a thing of the past, but they keep on rearing their ugly head. And this summer, we actually, uh, we had a case involving a libertarian student group at University of Cincinnati. They're being told that the, the free speech zone only consisted of 0.1% of the entire campus. And even to use that, they had to get 10 days advance notice. And of course, this was not a policy that was enforced against every other student of every other opinion. So, uh, but, but what I find more, even scarier than the fact that, that uh, the university had this policy was that the university was willing to go to court in order to defend this policy um, as if it was a really good thing. Also, clearly with no knowledge of First Amendment law whatsoever because they, they thought they were going to win um, on, on this huge uh, attempt to deprive most students of, of their rights on campus. Of course, they lost. But am- amazingly, university bureaucrats maintain these, these zones as if they're actually a net benefit to the entire campus. Related to that, uh, you remind me, well, how do law schools have a different <laughs> range of, of- – speech restrictions than do regular universities or are they just part of an umbrella and typically don't differentiate? Uh, there are part of an umbrella. I mean, you can make an argument for all the professional schools that some kind of professionalism argument could come in, but I haven't really seen that in, uh, seen that in case law. For the most part, the same free speech protections that, pr- that protect every public college. Uh, no, I mean, I'm just talking about the bureaucrats within those organizations uh, trying to enforce codes. It would You would expect yeah. that a law school would go, well, clearly this is unconstitutional. I, the... the, 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 the the, the belief that some of these codes are constitutional, uh, the fact that some of these codes actually come from law professors, I, I, and it was a law professor who wrote our speech code, which was later overturned in, a, in a, course, uh, a case called uh, Corey v. Stanford. So in a lot of cases, lawyers are a big part of the problem. Was he tenured? Uh, yes, he was. <laughs> Nat Hentoff is a senior fellow here at the Cato Institute and uh, is a longtime uh, advocate uh, much to the chagrin of many of his one-time fans of the freedom of speech that includes campaign finance uh, restrictions, getting rid of those. But he makes an excellent point that 
the right to receive information is critical right. to the First Amendment. And if nothing else, these universities are try are seem to be trying to clamp down on that as well. Is there obvious evidence that they're doing that, or is this this just a side effect of trying to keep the peace at all costs? Um, definitely my, my experience going to campuses is, is, is what I call Mill's nightmare plays out, um, that essentially uh, students have gotten so used to playing it safe, talking to people they already agree with, that when you bring up basic normal arguments on the other side of a political issue to a lot of students these days, in some cases conservatives too, but also uh, certainly also liberals, um, they don't even know what the other argument is. Um, they're not even, they haven't even heard it. And I think that that's a real indictment um, uh, of, of university environments where people aren't even familiar that there could even be another argument, another side to, 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 to different arguments. I feel like I was uh, challenged a great deal mm-hmm. uh, in my university education to think about things differently than I, I had before. Uh, and you make note that, and I did not attend an elite university, <laughs> uh, but you make note that there is seems to be a bias that these things only happen right. at state schools. But you say this it, this problem is, uh, has even invaded top universities where you would expect, you know, the best and brightest to go, where debate would be. Uh, rampant and credible. Um, it, it's an amazing argument that I run into all the time because we fight uh, at universities all across the board and we fight at uh, community colleges and we fight at Ivy League colleges. But amazingly, we'll get people write in and say, you know, I went to Princeton, I went to Harvard. Well, it only really matters if it happens at these schools. And so I, I, I felt compelled to add a chapter about abuses by uh, Yale and Harvard. And it was easy to fill a chapter. We've even had additional cases at both of those schools since then that, that I'd add to any future book. So these abuses do take place at even the most elite colleges. And I and definitely from my personal experience at Stanford, I think that the walking on eggshells aspect of it, the self-censorship, the sort of concern about really getting into debate may actually even be worse in some of these elite colleges. I think it's probably most telling that you say that professors have uh, a serious problem when it comes to expressing opinions, unpopular opinions, or even holding, as, you, as your survey says, holding unpopular opinions. Academia has a reputation for being left of center. Uh, and I would, I would hate to indict this as, as an ideological problem. I would prefer to think of it as a type one, type two error problem where they're so concerned about one problem that is discord, potentially violence on campus, that they're totally willing to run roughshod over people's rights to speak in order to be compliant, in order to maintain safety. And that's about the best face I can put on absolutely. it. Absolutely. But is there an ideological component here? Oh, absolutely. And I make no bones about it. You are far more likely, far, far more likely to get in trouble on a, on a, on a college campus for a socially conservative opinion than you are for one that one that isn't. Can you can you walk us through a couple of examples Oh, there? sure. Yeah. Um, it's, all, it's all throughout the book. Um, you know, how many times I've seen um, college Republicans get in trouble for having the wrong opinion about affirmative action. It's And, and I I want to be clear here. It's on every single hot button issue um, in the United States today, whether it's abortion or gay rights or um, uh, military intervention or, or the war on terrorism, whether it's about radical Islam. There is not a hot button issue um, in the United States today that I have not seen cases of students on campus getting in trouble for being on the quote unquote wrong side of that opinion. And if you think you can really have a meaningful and good and healthy discourse with the with the, uh, even the vaguest threat of getting in trouble for taking the other side in that discourse, I think that's crazy. I feel like this is a target rich environment based mm-hmm. upon what you've described. Bureaucrats who don't really understand the First Amendment. Uh, 
people who are afraid to go against established opinion. Uh, it is a, as you say, sort of a culture of right opinions in a, in a lot of ways. So it seems like a very, pretty target-rich environment to use the First Amendment. What changes have you seen since you guys have gotten started? It definitely is a case that, that um, I, I don't know if uh, universities have really learned their lesson on a principled standpoint, but we have had at least some sort of a Pavlovian, Pavlovian effect on universities. They're, they're, they know that fire is out there. They, they uh, know that we'll uh, fight them. Um, and I think that we've seen some of the cases, at least, that involve ideology get a little bit less ridiculous or, or, or over at least the past three or four years. Um, that being said, universities seem to have morphed into something where they're not even bothering to make the excuse of diversity or tolerance when they punish students. They're going just say, oh, just don't criticize us. It seems like they've even thrown the rationales out the window. Uh, Fire's made a really positive difference in the reduction of speech codes. We've gone from about 75% of top colleges having speech codes to the report that we have coming out next week, about uh, 63%. Still, that's way, way too many. And so uh, the book on learning liberty is really Fire's attempt and my attempts to sort of get this issue in front of as many people as possible and take this fight to the next level because we don't have to accept censorship on campus as the new normal. Greg Lukianoff is author of Unlearning Liberty. You can watch the full forum at cato.org.